uh, 38. The Bible says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That she may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come to you here tonight in awe of who you are and your grace and your mercy towards us. We're just so thankful for your hand and working and spirit in our lives and in this church. God, even as we pray, especially tonight, for you to to do a great work this next week in revival. We've called it revival, but it's only revival if your Spirit revives us. And God, we're praying that that happens, that we're here and submitted and ready to hear from you. But God, we're here again tonight, gathered around your Word, desiring to hear from you, and we ask that you'd, you'd speak to us, that this would be a time of, of value, that you'd be uplifted and that our hearts would be challenged that there would be purpose to our gathering tonight. Lord, we're thankful. We ask your hand on this, that you might be glorified. We love you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. These are um, uh, popular verses. We're familiar with them. We're probably accustomed to them. Uh, and, and Jesus begins in this passage, as we just saw with these thoughts that are kind of contrary to uh, human nature, in essence. Uh, Even what he says seems to contradict the Old Testament. If you were to go to uh, Exodus chapter 21, verse 23, it says, And if mischief follow, thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. I mean, just across the board. Uh, if you take mine, I take yours, okay? If you poke my eye out, get ready. We're going in, right? I mean, that's just, that's, that's the concept. And that's kind of how we, we act naturally. That's kind of how we think. We like the concept of just, of fair, uh, of what, what you do to me, I should be able to do to you. I mean, that makes sense to us. Um, when we're children, we, we act this way. Uh, I once heard a story of a parent who uh, had these two daughters, and the one broke the other daughter's toy. And he said, would you like that I break her toy as well to make it up to you? And the daughter goes, yes, please, break it. I mean, that's our reaction so often. I mean, that's how we feel. 
right? If, you, if, if something happens to me, I want it to happen to you. That doesn't help me any, but I want it. It makes me feel better. We want justice. If somebody wrongs us, uh, we want them to pay. If we're not treated right, we want restitution. Uh, uh, we want to show people the same kindness they show us. And we want this because of our nature and who we are, but also because we recognize the world's a, a brutal and unfair place. We just see it all around us. We see injustice uh, everywhere we go. Uh, you turn on the news and you see things that ought not be, or people that are treated unfairly, or, or people that get away with that which they should not. Uh, you hear about those that are uh, powerful politicians that break the law without justice. And you just go, I want, ju I want something bad. <laughs> and that's how we feel as human beings. Uh, corporations that go and they pay a small fine for what you and I would be in prison for life for doing. And we see it and we just, we feel like we want justice. We want them to go down, right? We're looking at the stocks and we go, will it dip? Right? Come on. Because we want, we want some kind of penalty for that. And it goes further and further as you look at those that so often there's horrible crimes and uh, and rapes and different things where no jail time is served and you see those things that just, they grate against you. And uh, you even look at so many things in, in our government or different things that go on and you feel like aren't fair or people are treated unfairly. And throughout our world and our country, we see constant injustices. And at the end of the day, we just kind of wish that people would get what's coming to them. Nobody's with me, but I know you think it. It's okay. You don't have to agree. And you don't have to admit it. I know it's true. <laughs> and it's just the way that it is. It's how we feel. And it probably even more acutely to your life, you have cases specific to you of injustices that took place, whether somebody hurt you or treated you unfairly, whether they were unkind uh, maybe you even had to experience something horrific done to you. Uh, and so often we see where those people that do those things don't get what we think they deserve. And we don't like it. We want them to get what they deserve. <laughs> and so often humanity's response to this is anger, backlash, hatred. We want revenge. And the Jews saw this in Exodus and thought that the law taught not just this in the sense of what was just in a, in a, in a court of law, but they practiced it as a, a philosophy for human relationship. And we don't have to go all into um, the reason possibly why God instituted the law and what took place there with an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. Uh, in that, I'm of the persuasion that he did so, so we didn't take more than that. In restitution, you with me here tonight? We never really want what's equal. If you remember David, the story, and Nathan comes and says, uh, uh, there's this uh, uh, man who took his neighbor's sheep, his only sheep, his pet sheep that he loved, even though he had 99 and he was going to slaughter it for his guest. And David said, David didn't say, well, he should give a sheep again. He didn't say what the law said, that he should give sevenfold sheep. He said, kill him. He should die. Because when we see injustice, we just want, we want maximum karma. You with me? Right? You watch the YouTube videos of, 
a guy doing something dumb in a car, and he cuts somebody off. And what do we want? We want him to skid off the road in the car to explode, right? <laughs> Way beyond justice. That's what we always want. And so I feel like the law's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is like, let's keep it fair. <laughs> you with me? But the Jew didn't even see it that way. They, they extrapolated that to every aspect and facet of, of human life. Uh, and, and, and basically in their mindset, and we could go through many times and see this, that every offense or outrage or, or situation that took place, whether it was something as simple of, as, as impoliteness, was met with the Jews' fury in this time. If you look at even their treatment and attitude towards the Samaritans, the Samaritans' viewpoint of not worshiping at Jerusalem to the Jew was, this is an offense, it's done, you're worse than dogs. You're animals to us. Way beyond even what would be a normal response. Because their attitude was, you offend me, done. It's over. And that was their mindset. And their kind of mindset is so often what we see when we look at the world is that it's a savage world. The rules are get yours or get trampled. That's kind of how we see it. And so Jesus comes and in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he begins to speak and he tells them something so counterintuitive, something so weird to hear. I mean, he opens up and he says, you've heard it it's, was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But he says this, if somebody smacks you in the face, let them smack the other side. And that, we hear it, we know, that's a, one of those verses we just hear from the time we're children. But that's a weird thing to hear, if we're going to be honest tonight. Isn't it? It's a weird thing for Jesus to stand up and say, hey listen, I just want to let you know, if somebody smacks you, let them smack you again. <laughs> Why? Can I, can I even move away? I mean, <laughs> I have to let Can I dodge it if I'm quick? I, what is. <laughs> it's a strange thing to say, really, when you think about it. And he goes on, he says, what, If somebody sues you unjustly, he's not going into like, you really wronged them. He's talking about somebody uh, tries to make gain of you, they make uh, false accusations, and they bring you a lawsuit, and they take something that's yours, they're going to take your coat. He says, Well, give them your cloak too. Who's, if you've ever been sued here, you had to go to, to court or you had to go through the court system and it was, justice was not done. The last thing you thought after you paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars was, I should give them a little extra. I know it's hard for them. <laughs> it's not your thought process at all. right? Your thought process is car crash. That's what I'm thinking. And Jesus says, if they sue you for your coat, give them your cloak too. He goes, he goes on and talks about uh, even governmental abuse and talks about if somebody would compel you to go a mile and talking about the uh, centurion's idea of making you carry their uh, gear as they walked a mile through there. He says if the government abuses you, that's what would take place. He says do double what they ask. Can I tell you what? That's never been my thought when something like that has happened. You with me? Never once. And he says all of these things that are uh, so counter-cultural. 
He says, if somebody, if somebody were to ask of you, give it. And that's, his, uh, that's what he's saying here, and it sounds so ridiculous. We know it because it's familiar and we don't think as much about it, but when people abuse us or cheat us or make gain of us or treat us unfairly, our thought process is not, well, let's give them more. Let's help them out more. Let's give them a more opportunity to do us wrong. Our instant reaction to those that did us wrong, that made gain of us, that hurt us, we want them to pay for what they did. That's what we want. And probably each one of us in here has an example of something that happened in your life, probably recently, that wasn't right. And you think, man, if they just need to get that neighbor, ooh, good thing there's laws, because I'll tell you what, we just, we're just that way. And Jesus comes, and, and to those that were that way, more so probably even than our culture, and says, do the opposite of all of that. And Jesus reveals this here and again and says this, you've heard it was said, this was your understanding, that you should love your neighbor but hate your enemy. And now, of course, Jesus' intention is that you ought to love even your enemy. But the Jews thought of those that they ought to hate as, as, as their enemies. They thought of their enemies, and, and, and they had in their life those that would, they would consider an enemy. They would have had the nations that oppressed them and probably would have thought of the, the Romans that occupied them and, uh, and, and basically used them. They would have thought of the Samaritans that they, they hated that way. Uh, probably, no doubt here, they would have had personal people in their lives that the neighbor that killed their chicken and got away, from, away with it, whatever, and they had these grudges against all of these people. And they had these people that they considered their enemies, and they hated them. And Jesus said, here's the whole point of this. All of those that would persecute you, all of those that would make gain of you, the desire is not that you would hate those, but that you would love those. And that's, we read that and we know it. I don't know if we take the time to just contemplate the depth of such a statement. <laughs> to love your enemies. Now today, we kind of think in different terms. And so we kind of skirt around the passage almost entirely. Because we go, I have no enemies. I don't have enemies. I mean, if you think about it, probably... Uh, very seldom in your life have you referred to anyone as your enemy. Uh, that's not really the way that we view things. But we, can, we have those that we consider opposite to us or opposed to us. Uh, and so often we treat them very much the same as maybe the Jews would treat the Samaritans. I, I look at it, even our, and I don't want, never want to really get political, but you look at our political climate today, and the two sides don't really treat each other too much different than the Jews and the Samaritans did. You with me? Now, we wouldn't call them our enemies, but is there any connection there? And so often we have those in our lives that maybe we would never label them our enemies, but they're our enemies. You know what I'm saying? There's that neighbor that you've got a feud with, 
that if their house burnt down, you would feel awesome. You with me? That's your enemy, okay? We cannot use that terminology, but if, if you're against them and you're looking over your shoulder every time they come outside, that's your enemy. And, and this begs the question, if we're going to ask where Jesus said you ought to love even your enemies, it begs the question, what does that mean to love someone? What, what is he getting at there? What does it mean to love them? Because the reality is, and, and we're just going to breeze through this, we tell ourselves that we love people when we wish for their demise. <laughs> but I love them. We demand their justice. We, we spout vitriol at them every chance we get. But we say we love them. As some ambiguous terminology, right? Uh, we claim love based on some unseen feeling we supposedly harbor for them. And we call that love. We say, of course I love them. I feel love in my heart for them. We make statements like, sure, I'll never forget what they did. I'll never trust them again. I'll never lift a finger to help that person out. I'm going to drag their name through the mud every chance I get, but I love them. Because I feel love in my heart. Because that's an easy thing to say. If you say, I feel love in my heart, I can't go, no, you don't. That's a, it's a, just an ambiguous, imaginary, secret type of a thing that if you say that's how you feel in your heart, I, I can't challenge that. Right? We go through life and go, I'm going to give them a taste of their own medicine because I love them. I love them, though. I'll forgive them, but I'm never going to forget what they did. I love them, though. I'm never going to talk to that person in church again because... But yeah, of course I love them. I'll pray for them. Right? I'll respect that person when they've earned my respect. But I love them. I love them. We just get, we we put this uh, just ambiguous term into the nebulous of of nothingness, where we we talk about love as if it's some unidentifiable situation in which uh, nobody could ever challenge it because it's just some feeling you have that as long as you clarify every statement you make of hatred with "but I love them," it's justified. And can I tell you, Jesus is pointing out something maybe more succinct about love. The Bible talks a little bit more clearly about love than just that it would be a warm feeling you might have. We could go to 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, Charity suffereth long, charity meaning love, and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. In other words, to endure evil in kindness, without envy, jealousy, or vengeance, he says that's what love looks like. To endure that. He says to seek only the good of the other, even when they've hurt you, even when they've provoked you, 
that's love. God would even say it, maybe if there's any better way to explain it in 1 John 3, 16, where the Bible would say, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In other words, if you were to go through the Word of God, and we won't take time to do all of that tonight, uh, and you searched out love, you'd find out that nowhere in the Bible does God describe the love that we ought to have for people as some warm, ambiguous feeling. That's not what it's talking about. When Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for them which use you and despitefully use you and persecute you, and, uh, he's, he's not saying, just feel something for them. Now listen, that's nice if you feel in your heart a compassion for people. You ought to. But that's not the same as what he's talking about when he says love. Real love is action. It's quantifiable. It can be charted. You can see it. It's not some feeling. It's what you do. It's how you treat someone. That's love. And the way and the word that, that Jesus uses here and the way that it's used and the vernacular that it's used, that was understood then. And it's something that we've lost a little bit today where we've termed these things as just feelings. Where when Jesus said love, it was understood that that meant doing something. That meant action. That meant something was happening in the life of the person that you love. Not that you just felt something for them. And we do it all the time. We talk about, and you look at marriages and people where somebody's treated the person unfairly. And how many times have you heard maybe of an abusive marriage or a marriage with rampant infidelity and the person always says, no, I love you though. Not what Jesus is talking about. That's not the love that Jesus is talking about. Where you hurt somebody, you abuse them, you do everything wrong to them, but yet you still feel something for them. I did foster care, and I don't know if anybody's ever been involved in that, but just sometimes horrible situations. And we had um, two children who were taken away from their home because their mother was involved with a man that was abusive, physically, sexually, to them. And the only thing that this mother had to do to get her children back was find somewhere else to live. Just not be in the same place as somebody that was going to physically and sexually abuse her children. And every month we went to court. And every month that woman stood before the judge and said, I love my kids, I want them back. And the judge would say, have you found somewhere else to live? No. But I love my kids, I want them back. That's not the love that Jesus talks about. Oh, she might have felt something. I have no doubt about that. But that's not what love is, according to God. That you would feel something for them. But that you would do something about it. He says, it's kind. It's not puffing itself up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It's not seeking your own. It's not thinking evil. It's bearing, it's believing, it's enduring for the other. Real love is action. 
In other words, you can't sit around and revile those that you don't like, talk about people as if they're animals, never show a bit of kindness or compassion, and then say, but I love them. No, you don't. You just don't. If I sit around and talk about whoever, pick whatever category of person you want. We can sit around and talk about the homeless problem in Seattle and and how the homeless are ruining the city. I could talk about them as if they're not human, as if they're animals, and revile them and, and say how they're all drug addicts and never do anything to ever share the gospel with them when I know that's their only hope anyway. And then go, no, but I really do love them. No, I don't. I hate them. That's the reality. That's the reality of truth of what we do. You can't come to church and refuse to forgive somebody and gossip about them and avoid them like the plague and then say, but I love them. It's a lie. You hate them. Well, I would never say I hate them. That's not how words work. You with me? I can't punch you in the face and then you go, you punch me and I go, I wouldn't. I don't know if the, I would use the word punch. I, we don't get to redefine our actions with different words because we don't like the reality of what we do. Hatred is when you treat people wrong and unkind and without any sense of compassion or kindness. And love is when you do. And then Jesus says this, and here's the point. He says, this is what love looks like. He says, and we already talked about this, that he would say the greatest love is that you would lay down your life for your friends. But then he says this, and in this passage he says, loving your enemies looks like this. Even if they were to hit you, you love them so much that you're not interested in retaliating back. He's not really talking about the physical violence of your life's in danger and you're being assaulted. He's talking about this idea that somebody is against you and insulting you and and challenging you. And he says, real love is when you don't need to defend yourself because you hate them. He says, real love is, is when somebody were to show that they have need of you and maybe they do it in a way that's abusive or wrong to you. He says, real love is somebody that loves somebody so much that if you want to steal my coat, man, you must be coat cold. Is there anything else I can do for you? Man, that's, that's not what I want to do. I know. I want to hate them too. But Jesus says, love them. He says, if somebody asks of you, give them. Give them. That's what he teaches here. And we try to, we try to get around it, but it's right here and Black and white, red and white, if you have the words of Christ, you're red. And yet we so often, we, we go through life and we avoid people. We refuse to interact with anyone in the world. We never give the gospel out. And then we come and we sit in church and go, I love the lost. No. You don't. You go, but I feel, it doesn't matter what you feel. What do you do? If you love the lost, you would do something. And he says this, as he goes through all of this, is the idea of uh, loving your enemies and doing good for those that uh, would despitefully use you. And he says, this is what I do. When it rains, it doesn't just rain on the people I feel like deserve rain. He says it rains on the just and the unjust. 
He says, yeah, but this person was mean to me. God says it don't work that way. <laughs> he says, if you salute your brethren only, what do you do that nobody else does? How is that any more love than this world knows or shows? And he ends with saying, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And this word perfect has the connotation of spiritual maturity, uh, 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 of being mature or complete in him. And he says this perfection, this maturity, is the ability to love people in action because you count a soul Jesus died for more valuable than your own vindication. I don't know if you caught that as this idea of this passage, but he says if you're going to be perfect, if you're going to be mature, then we go back to let's look at the way people treat you and see how you treat them in return. If you're going to be spiritually mature, complete in him, a perfect in Christ, then when people do you wrong, that's going to reveal the reality of your love for people. Oh yeah, when people love you, it's easy to love them. My wife makes fun of me all the time. I'll come home and I'll go, Man, I really like this person I met. And she'll go, yeah, they like you. So of course you would. She always says it to me. I go, well, yeah, it's way easy to like people like me. <laughs> if I meet you and you don't like me at all, I don't get real warm feelings when I leave that. I mean, it's just, when you come up and insult me, I, I don't feel great about that. It's just how we are. And Jesus says maturity, perfection, completion, the idea of being a mature Christian and understanding what Jesus is about and what his message is about is that you love people so much that even when they abuse you, it doesn't turn to hatred. Even when they hurt you, you count their soul so important because Jesus thought it was important enough to die for that you're willing to suffer wrongly so that you might show them love. And therein is the idea of what Jesus is teaching here. That you would suffer injustice because the way Jesus views a soul is more important than the way you and I do. We ought to see what God sees when he looks at people. Not because they or we have any innate goodness to love, but because each soul, no matter how flawed or unique, uh, is precious and eternal, and they're something that God loved enough to die for. And Jesus is saying this, what if they hate us? Love them. What if there's somebody that's their whole lifestyle and mindset and culture is contrary to the things of God, and they're going to be offensive and angry and hatred towards us? Are they our enemies and we should attack them? He says, no. Suffer more. Let it happen. If they want something from you, give them extra to show them how much God loves them. In other words, the love's not a, a, about placating maybe a lifestyle that's contrary to God. The idea is that you love them so much so that you can show them a way that they might escape an eternity in hell. There's no love that lets another burn in hell because they're afraid of offending them. There's no love that says, well, because you were mean to me, I'm not going to tell you about how you can avoid an eternity in hell. That's the, that's the epitome of hatred. You with me? If today we go, 
Yeah, I mean, this whole LGBTQ community hates Christianity, and I want nothing to do with them. Can I tell you, there's no way you can hate them more than not going out of your way to share the gospel with them. That's the reality. There's nothing you could do that's worse than sending them to hell. Spiritual maturity is the ability to love those that hate you, is what he says. And we've all gone through this. I, one time I was, lady was, um, had some car trouble, and I pulled over, and how do I say this in the kindest way? She was, from a first glance, you could kind of tell, maybe socially and politically, which side of the aisle she would be on. I don't mean that in an offensive way, it just was. You with me? And so I say, hey, can I help you? And she goes, no, 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 I got it. I go, well, your car is smoking, so <laughs> you sure there's nothing I can do? And she goes, well, I just need some antifreeze. Can you, can you maybe take me down to the store? I'll grab some. I appreciate it. So I'm like, sure, okay. So we run down to the store, and I ask her her name, and she asks me mine. And she goes, Chip? She goes, that's the whitest white male name I've ever heard. <laughs> I go, well, <laughs> and it kind of, it's, I mean, it's true, but, <laughs> but it was everything about the way that it was said, that it was just a disdain for my very existence, like I named myself. Like somehow, maybe I bleached my skin. And just, I mean, like everything about this was intentional. This is oh, how I was born. I can't help it. And my heart was not, oh man, I'm so glad that I'm here with this person right now, helping them out. My thought was, why don't you walk back? That'd be great. <laughs> don't want to oppress you any further. You go ahead and handle your own business. <laughs> and we, all, we have these situations where our instant reaction is, I don't want to love you anymore. I don't want to help you. By love, I'm saying I don't want to do for you kindness. I want you to get what you deserve. And since you treated me rudely, I want you to have to walk back. That's what I want. But God says, and that's such a light thing compared to what Jesus is talking about. But he says love is when you're still willing to suffer loss. When you're willing to be offended to be insulted, to be slapped, to be deprived, so that you might have the opportunity to share eternal life with somebody. He says, that's love. That's what it looks like. We want fair. And here's the point. We want fair. But nothing about what Jesus proposed as the life of a believer has anything to do with fair. We forget this so easily. Nothing about Christianity is about what's fair. If you got what's fair, we'd all be in hell today. That would be fair. There's nothing fair that an innocent God would have to die a brutality-ridden death for you and I. That's not fair. There's nothing fair about that. It's not fair today that you and I get to go to heaven. It's not even fair today that we get to enjoy blessings in this country while billions are in poverty and despair. Nothing about how life works is fair. You're not here 
to get or to give what's fair. You go, that person offended me. It's only fair that I... Who, who said anything about fair? doesn't matter. We're here to be lights and beacons of God's love to the world. But this means you have to go out and do it. Not run and hide from the world. Not become reclusive to avoid being hurt or abused. Not hold grudges or demand that those in your church treat you how you think you ought to be treated. No, no, no. You go, but it's not fair. I'm okay. Nothing's fair. Wasn't fair that he died. It's not fair that he loves you. And yeah, it wouldn't be fair that you love them. Great. Love them anyway. Love them just the same. Love them even when you don't want to love them. Go out and take the abuse, the wrong, and the offense. Because there's so much more at stake than what's fair for you and I. How can we say we've taken up our crosses and died to self if we're holding on to injustices or vengeance or hatred or prejudices? That's not taking up your cross and dying. Today, and just to put things in perspective, many people today died and went to hell. Today, whether we're here or somewhere else, could have been somebody's last time coming to church and service because nobody showed them kindness, and they're just done. We don't know. This could be it for somebody. Some here might have a heart that's turning to stone because you've held a grudge against them, because somebody didn't like them, because they weren't treated with love and kindness. And we go, yeah, but they kind of deserve it. Yep, and you deserve to be in hell. What's your point? Who cares? If they smite you on the cheek, stand there and take it again because God loved you enough to die. So love them enough to suffer wrong. Love them enough so that you can invest in their life, even if it hurts you. Can we forget us enough today that we can understand that God's not interested in about what's fair for you and I, but about how he can use you and I to show how unfairly he loves others. So take the wrong. Suffer the abuse. And no doubt, many people's reaction to such a thing would go, that don't sound like fun. What's, why would I want to do that? And we got to quit here tonight, but why would I want to go and let somebody hit me in the face or take my coat and my cloak or insult me and revile me and hate me and then just be kind to them and take it? Why would I ever want to do that? Well, one, you ought to be constrained by the love of Christ so much. You ought to be so enamored with the reality that somebody would love you enough to die for you when you did worse to them. But you can't help but overflow that love to others. That ought to be how it is. But also, and here's what's awesome. Jesus says this. When you begin to forget you, when you begin to die to self, when you begin to lose your life, oh, you don't have a clue. You find it. It's what an amazing thing it is. Nobody has ever taken vengeance and then was glad for it. Never. 
Never has somebody hurt you and you hurt them back and went, I feel great now. I'm satisfied. My life is complete and content. No, you're filled with angst and sorrow and stress and regret. You're not bettered for it. It doesn't satisfy your life. We think, if I give up my my own volition, I suffer wrongly so I can love people. I'm a doormat and people walk all over me and my life is destroyed and ruined in sorrow. No, that's life. You go, that doesn't make sense. I know. If you lose your life, you find it. (laughs) If you give it up for him, man, that's living. When you begin to show people love and God begins to use your life and the love that you can show, even for those you don't like and don't like you, that you can show them love and God uses that, that they might come to the, the knowledge of the gospel or they might be changed or you see that first person that hated you and now they're crying because you just loved them when nobody else would. Can I tell you what? Man, it's worth it. It's so beyond worth it. It's so beyond suffering loss. Yeah, and it's not easy. But it's what Jesus did for us, and it's what he calls us to do for others. And he says, when you do that, you find life. So in other words, let's forget us so we can find life in loving others. Stand to our feet this evening. Heavenly Father, Lord.